Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's a singer, songwriter, DJ, former Real World in the Challenge cast member. It's Davis Mallory. How are you doing today, Davis? I'm good. How are you doing today? Doing good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? Uh, yeah, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I liked fishing. And like when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with catching frogs. <laughs> Did you grow up in kind of like a, not a city area, but like kind of where there's like fields and country where the frogs were or? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the suburb of North Georgia, but if you're familiar with Atlanta, there's like a really big river that runs through it, the Chattahoochee River. So there's just a lot of water life to do. Um, I mean, it's based around a river city, so there's a lot of frogs. Why did you feel that that was something that you enjoyed doing? Was there something? I about I mean, frogs? I, was, I, mean I, I was just in Atlanta this weekend and I was telling um my cousins are Swedish and they were visiting me and I was telling them that like I was obsessed with frogs I used to draw them all the time and I would spend countless hours trying to catch this one frog in my neighborhood that I never caught (laughs) and I finally think I just like caved and bought one at PetSmart (laughs) (laughs) now today would you go out there and try to catch a frog or like you said go to PetSmart just buy and have it the easy way um, I honestly think I wouldn't catch it. I think I have a different philosophy. I feel like they're better off where they live in the wild, <laughs> but I still like to see them. As you're growing up, did you have anyone that was a huge motivator or inspiration for you? Yeah, I mean, different ones. I mean, my uncle managed Amy Grant, the pop country Christian singer. And so she was a big influence on my direction in music. I remember meeting her and she was always very kind to me. Um. And then, like, I liked baseball stars a little bit. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I remember, like, Chipper Jones and Daryl Strawberry being kind of, like, role models. Tim McGraw was a role model for me. I liked his career. Usher was a role model for me. I liked his music, and I grew up in Atlanta, so, like, the city of hip-hop and rap. Um, I don't know. I feel like those are some... Will Smith? Zach from Saved by the Bell? (laughs) You know, like, a variety of, like, people were... (laughs) inspirational for me and i like how you hit different areas it wasn't like one specific like industry because you probably found something from each one of them that maybe the other person didn't have that you Mm -hmm. or you inspired from so a lot of people can relate with the different areas that you looked at as inspiration yeah did you face any challenges growing up yeah, I mean, my my parents got divorced when I was in fourth grade, and it was a dramatic divorce with a lot of, you know, just drama around it. So I feel like that really introduced my life at a young age to drama. Um, and my, my, my mom remarried. Actually, like, sadly, my stepbrother died this weekend. And so I'm kind of revisiting that chapter of my childhood just this weekend as I went home to his funeral and there's a lot of history there with my family. And yeah, I mean, that was probably my earliest experience with challenges. With growing up with a divorced parents as myself, did it kind of be hard to kind of live the lifestyle you want as a kid where you're going back and forth or you're going with one parent more often than the other, which makes it challenging to be friends with certain kids in a certain area that you are in? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I felt like a little bit of an outsider in some ways because there was kids who didn't have that experience and they seemed to kind of have it more together. Um, I mean, my my parents were mad at each other and kind of trash talking each other for some of my childhood. So I had a lot of like 
whose side am I going to take drama? And I go visit my dad and then my mom would kind of get mad about something my dad did. And then I would go visit my dad and my dad would get you know mad about my mom. And so there was a lot of picking a side and trying to navigate, not upsetting the two of them when I saw them kind of keeping things to myself to try to uh, keep the peace, you know, that still exists. Yeah. <laughs> this weekend, my car broke down and my dad was supposed to help me out and never came. And then my mom, my mom's like so opposite. She was like trying to help me from afar and they have just very different perspectives. And then my mom was mad at my dad and my dad got mad at my mom. It's like, they still have the same perspective with each other that they had as kids. So that was probably one of the biggest problems of it. Did you have anyone that you could talk to about the things that you were going through, the struggles or the challenges facing within the household? I mean, probably my brother and sister. I have two. I have a brother and a sister and a stepsister and a stepbrother. Um, I think we were all pretty close to each other about this experience we were sharing. Um, I did have like a mentor. I was really involved with my church and I, I went on a mission trip and we had an adult leader. And looking back, I think we were born just a couple of days apart from each other. So I think there was a lot of like him seeing himself in me and what and he never had any sons. He only had two daughters and I was friends with one of his daughters from school. So I think he kind of symbolically liked to think of me as his son. And he was someone I used to really share a lot of my experiences with and kind of became like a symbolic father for me throughout some of the time when my relationship with my dad wasn't great. Um, and I think he was definitely like there for me when it was dealing with my mom because my mom was a little crazy going up she's better now but i think it sometimes she was a little hard we, we were just having that kind of teenage angst you get with your mom mm. and my mom was the sole parent for the most part and my dad and i were not close so was that church group a big part of your journey as you're getting older and kind of played a big role in what was next for you yeah, I think so. I mean, I really found a lot of enjoyment in the church. I mean, we went on mission trips to Mexico, Peru, Poland. I really enjoyed all of those experiences. I was in the church choir, so I sang and I really loved. I later auditioned for like kind of like the best of the choir and it was four guys and four girls and I got in. So that was a privilege for me to get into it. And some of those guys got record deals and are still today like pretty well known in the music industry, especially Christian music industry. So that was something I really found inspired me and led me to go after music myself was seeing these other guys succeed. Um, and I feel like I find a lot of peace in being religious. Like when things are tough, I go to bed and I pray and I feel like peace in that, you know? So I think that I'm happy that that was how I was raised, you know? What was the big musical influence for you? Cause now looking at your career now, music plays a big part, but growing up, what were those musical influences for you? I mean, my uncle was a songwriter, my dad's brother, and he'd written music that was recorded by both Christian and country artists of name, like Sixpence None the Richer recorded one of his songs, and Winona Judd recorded another one of his songs. So I kind of felt like it was in my blood a little bit. Um, my dad's brothers and my grandfather can play the guitar really well, but I never could, but I loved to sing. So I think that was like my skill within music. Um, and then my dad's brother-in-law was an artist manager. And so he managed Amy Grant as well as some well-known, he managed Jordan Sparks for a little bit, oh, the American wow. Idol star. He manages today, Michael W. Smith, who's a longstanding Christian singer. So I kind of had like a touch of fame close to home with my dad's side of the family with music. Um, I think I went through a lot of years of self-doubt. Like I knew I was good, but I didn't know if I was good enough to make it. 
And I never went the traditional route of going on a reality show and competing in front of America's eyes as a singer. So I think in some ways I kind of limited my visibility in the world's eyes as a singer by not doing that. Instead, I did the real world, which didn't show me as a singer at all on that show. And so, you know, it didn't really set me up for musical success. Sometimes we're asked that fun question, what's that dream job that we are always wanting? As you're going through your teenage years, what was that dream job that you were wanting to go for? Sometimes it was like being somebody successful in music. And I didn't know if that meant to be somebody like a judge on American Idol or a record label CEO or to be a singer. I think at the forefront of it all, it was to be a singer, though like to be John Mayer or Britney Spears or somebody like them. That was like kind of the dream, you know? Did it ever come across your mind to go into that path? Like go, try to do all those like local areas, clubs, kind of area spots to get that singing experience? Or did you go through the education route or did you go right into the workforce? For me, I think I, I suffer from and still suffer from a little bit of stage fright. So I'm not the kind of guy that was just on stage playing for strangers as a young kid with building an, you know, building, you know, building fan bases, doing it that way. Um, I started a little later with being more musically driven. Like I finished my time on the real world and then I ended up getting a job at a record label and thought maybe that's where I wanted to grow my career and after two and a half years of working at a label, I realized it wasn't really where I wanted to be forever. And during those two and a half years, I started songwriting. And then I moved to Nashville as kind of like going to college in a sense of how to songwrite. And I would write with anyone who would write with me. And sometimes I wrote with really successful people. And sometimes I wrote with really unsuccessful people <laughs> who were just <laughs> learning and didn't know what they were doing. And between all of that, I learned how to songwrite. And started working with producers and some of them were charging, you know, pretty much nothing. And some of them were kind of expensive and a lot of them were not capturing my sound. They could kind of make a song, but it didn't sound cool. And so it took a long time of trying to chase my sound and find someone who could actually do a good job, you know, of producing something that I would be proud of to put out into the world. So, I mean, they say it's 10,000 hours. I mean, I've been in this career for at least 10 years now. I mean, 10 years will be this summer. So I feel like in that 10 years of being living in Nashville has been that those 10,000 hours of you know trying to get good at this. A big part of your journey was the real world opportunity. How did that opportunity come about? And was this something that was always envisioned for you to go for? I watched the real world a lot during my high school years and really thought maybe it'd be cool to be on that show. I saw those big personalities and those pretty people and wanted to be one of them. Um, I tried out in college, like my final year of college. So my first job after college was the real world. Technically, like I graduated high, um, college and then two weeks later, I, I started filming. Um, I tried out at a bar in an open call forum where they had, you know, everybody just showed up and got a number and then were called in 10 people at a time. And uh, I don't think at first the cash running director really knew what to do with me. So he didn't greatly show interest in me, but they made me fill out an, a pamphlet that he told me would take about an hour to fill out. And I think reading through my answers, he found some comedy in what I wrote and called me back for a second day of interviews and then I think in a way they kind of got hooked on me in the one-on-one -on -one interview because I told my mom, I think they're interested in me. And then my mom was like, please don't do on that 
please don't go on that show. So I, in, I eventually called and said, I'm not going to go on with the show anymore. My mom doesn't want me to do it. <laughs> and then that's when I realized they really wanted me and they started talking me into continuing on with the show. And then I was like, oh, I got this in the bag. So at that point forward, I knew that I had it. And even though it took me about six months to finally get an answer that they officially chosen me, I knew pretty early on, like, oh, they like me. So, yeah. With the real world, you're basically showcasing your life in a way, or really exposing things about your life, your earlier days. What was the one thing you were worried about that when it aired, you didn't know what the reaction was going to be from the viewers? I mean, it would obviously be probably my fight with Tyree. Um, I hate to bring it up because it's kind of something I'd love to bury and just move on mm-hmm. from, but it's like, that was situation was alcohol fueled and kind of to me a blur. And so I feel like that was the thing I was most dreading for seeing out on TV. You know, is there anything from that show that you are proud of? Like I, this was an experience that I will remember because it taught me something about myself. I mean, I think I tried in a lot of ways to really step up after that moment and really be on my best behavior. Um, alcohol really kind of like tarnished my reputation because anything I'm on, I'm I'm embarrassed from was when I was drunk, you know, Mm -hmm. and anything that I felt like showed sort of like my true character was when I was sober. Cause I feel like that was when I was making level-headed decisions, you know, um, there's little moments. Like I remember we were all excused from outward bound because we were, three of us were sick, but four of us were healthy. So three of us went home And the sick ones decided to never return, but I started feeling better after day one. So I decided to go back and continue on and they were surprised to see me, but I I just felt like that was me showing like, I will work if I'm healthy. I'm not going to just play the sick card and not have to go through the tough times. And the other two stayed home and just drank and partied. And I felt like that was one of the moments where I felt like I was proud of myself. You know, Do you feel that if the show was still on today or they were still doing the real world and where you are at now would you have probably applied for it or do you feel at the time that you were on it was the perfect time because it's helped you grow to where you are today I mean I think I told someone just very recently that if I was given the opportunity to do the show again I'd probably do it again um I mean that says something but if I was to a, I don't think I would apply for it right now. I mean, I haven't applied to be on a reality show. So I think that says something, you know, yeah. I'm not like looking for this moment. <laughs> it. So it's, I'm not chasing that. Although I have applied and would consider doing like a singing related show. So The Voice, American Idol, even the one that just didn't do too well called The American Song, I think it was like a Eurovision type show okay. where every 50 yeah. states had a contestant they actually had me um in consideration for tennessee but oh, wow. i think i'm not too country enough to really be the stereotypical <laughs> tennessee and the other place that i could have represented would be atlanta but i'm not too hip-hop enough to really represent atlanta so i feel like they didn't really know how to place me see why do they have the stereotype like areas like oh if you think of tennessee it's country music where nowadays country artists are doing pop and then yeah. hip hop, they're doing country. I mean, you shouldn't have to stereotype the style yeah. I mean, music. I, and then, then another place that was like a big part of my life was Florida. But then when you think of Florida, you kind of think of Miami and then you think mm-hmm. of Latin music. So it's like, I'm doing pop music. So I would almost have to just like 
represent a state I'm not even really from to represent the sound that I'm making, you know? After the real world, you got some opportunities with the challenge. Did you like that competitive side or did you feel this is too much of a reality show with the whole aspect of backstabbing, lying, gameplay, all those kind of things? Um, I didn't like the challenge as much as I liked the real world because the real world was really centered on just seven people and getting to know us for a long period of time. The challenge was centered around 30 or more people and not really getting to know us and putting us just through difficult experiences that I often didn't do great at. So I wasn't really liking it (laughs) as as much. (laughs) Do you feel that you made like real friendships off of that show? like the real world or the challenge that you still talk to today? Yeah. I mean, Siobhan, who I met on the challenge is like a sister to me. Um, She lives in Hawaii and I fortunately get to go there a couple of times a year to DJ. So I've seen her a lot over the last two years, more than ever. And I feel like we've become really nice friends. Brooke from my season of the real world is my neighbor. She lives two miles from me and I literally talk to her every day and I see her every weekend. And Tyree and I are like better friends than any of the other guys. Like my stepbrother died and he text messaged me yesterday to say sorry about it. And like he of all the guys is my closest friend. And it's it's funny. We got in a fight and you would think probably the opposite. But of all the guys, he and I are like most in touch with each other. So and there's other people through the years like Tori. She she married Brad. She's a close friend of mine. She used to live in Nashville and I would see her really often. But she moved to North Carolina, so I don't get to see her as often. But yeah, there's real friends there. Do you feel that that platform kind of has helped you gain a following and where they're learning more about you from that show, but also who you are today? It's kind of like you kind of showcase a new side of you today, but they also get to see another side that they're even learning even more. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still people that follow me on Instagram or Facebook that found me from the real world, you know, and I think that they are getting the opportunity to see me in my musical growth because that show, although I say this sometimes, my biggest fan base was on MySpace because that's dating me, but that's like what was, (laughs) that was what was around when I did the real world. And all those people did not carry over to Instagram and whatever else is new TikTok. So I I had a big following on MySpace once, you know. When did you first think about wanting to become a DJ? Did you DJ earlier or did you kind of learn that skill over time? Yeah, I mean, so the whole career as a DJ came about because when I was younger, I used to make little CDs for my stepsister of songs that I wanted her to hear. Or like when I was dating people I would usually do the same thing I would like make a CD of like 10 songs I really wanted them to hear and I feel like in that way that's kind of what DJing was it was like me playing songs for a room of people that I wanted them to hear those songs um I used to live in Chicago and that's when I started to go to DJs for the first time like Benny Benassi and Morgan Page and Cascade or some of the first ones I remember seeing live I ended up getting a job in New York City at a record label that was the label for David Guetta and Swedish House Mafia where I went to a ton of their shows and I started dating a guy who was a DJ himself and he knew I wanted to become one. I used to go up to DJs in clubs and just watch them over their shoulders and like introduce myself to them. And so I started making friends with a lot of them before I knew how to even do it. I was like a fan, so to speak of (laughs) what they were doing. And then for Christmas one year, my then boyfriend gave me DJ classes. And so I started I mean, I had a full-time job at a record label, but on the weekends I would go 
on Saturdays and learn how to DJ. And so my first job as a DJ was a frozen yogurt company's grand opening. And then my second job was like a prestigious nightclub called Pasha. They have one in Ibiza in New York. Pasha had like every major famous, you know, Avicii would play Pasha. So it was like a prestigious place and I was super nervous, but it was also good training wheels to get good at it. And when I moved to Nashville, I had these skills and I just kind of didn't find the scene to be the same here. Like we don't have quite the same DJ scene as New York. So I like got more into the corporate events and weddings, which is what I do right now for a lot of my DJ gigs. But I also play pool parties and prides and, you know, nightclubs and stuff like that too. Just kind of a collection of things. But yeah. I love that you kind of took that opportunity to network. I mean, just going up to having that courage to just go to that booth and just learn. Because I think nowadays that's a huge thing that people should take advantage of any opportunity. And you did that and look at the career that you've had where you're even getting better each and every day when it comes to DJing. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that enters in my mind right now is Dan Brown who passed away was a friend of mine. And one time we were asked to give a school speech together, she and I, so we shared a stage. We had different things to talk about, but I remember her saying she really wanted to be a news anchor and she encouraged anyone who had a dream to find someone who did that dream and to interview them and figure out how to get there. So for her, she met Katie Couric and later became friends with her. And so for me, I think that really probably is where the idea came from was from DM. With the first time you DJed in a club setting, what was the mental mindset for you? Did you get nervous? Did the energy kind of take the nerves away and just more excitement after? I mean, clubs always kind of cause an adrenaline rush inside of me, especially when I'm like kind of feeling the vibe and I'm making quick changes and I'm having a good time and I'm watching people dance. So I remember my club experience, though, some of my transitions were kind of what you would call a train wreck, where it's not a perfect blend between the two songs because I was so novice. I do just feel like I remember being like super adrenaline because of the fun of it. Do you think people actually realize that it didn't blend during those times? I feel like the energy, probably drinking, everyone just enjoying their time. It's probably like, oh, he's amazing. I feel like when you're in a room at the moment, unless someone's making a long, horrible transition, you don't notice it if they're quick transitions. But when you go back and listen the next day with headphones on and you're critiquing yourself, that's when you can hear it. It's like not as obvious in the room sometimes. Are you someone that gets critical from your performances and you kind of take like analyze like, oh, I could do better or this I might change it for the next time so that you are ready? Yeah, I I feel like this is going to be something that I will carry with until I die. Whenever I'm given the opportunity to perform, I will be stressed about it before I go on and I will be critical about it when it's over. I can I can agree with that from an interviewing standpoint. I get to it. I'm nervous because I'm like, is this person going to like me or not? And then I get into it. I'm like, why was I nervous about this? Like, it's I've done so many of these that it's like it should be natural. And then I get after I'm like, okay, I could have not asked him this question or maybe I could have said it differently. I may be confused. So I kind of can relate from where you're coming from, from a music standpoint. Is there an event that is like that dream spot that you want to DJ out of all the events out there? You did tell me early or before the interview, you're going to Europe to work. Yeah. Your dream spot. 
I mean, I'm, I've been invited to DJ at Stockholm's Pride. I've sang at Stockholm's Pride before, so DJing will be my first time doing that. I'm a little nervous because they're fans of Eurovision, and I don't usually play Eurovision in my sets. I usually play like mainstream pop and like country and rap, and I don't even know if they know some <laughs> of the songs that I would probably play for them. Um, but I feel like getting to a place where I might play Coachella or Lollapalooza or those kinds of name brand DJ, uh, sorry, music festivals as a DJ would be fun for me. Talking about your music journey, you do write songs also. What do you remember the first song you wrote and what was it about? Yeah, I was friends with a girl in Chicago who told me her boyfriend was a music producer. So she introduced the two of us and I did my very first songwriting session with him. And the song was called Tomorrow. And I really, I think I only wrote the chorus. I didn't write a bridge or verse and we never did anything with it, but he and I are still in, uh, still friends today. Um, and then I remember when I lived in New York, I started to kind of like, uh, somebody sent me a couple instrumentals or I would find them somehow. Anyways, I used to just write from home over instrumentals and I never released a single one of them, but that was also in my sort of like early days of learning how to write. What would you say your music style is? I know that sometimes people don't like to generalize them, but what would you say your music style is if someone is listening to you for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I feel like when someone comes over to Spotify, they're going to hear sort of like a happy sounding pop dance hybrid with like little influence of country in the way I sing a song or maybe a little bit of R&B, but more so sort of like happy dance pop. When you're writing, what is the mission or the message you're sending? Is it from personal experiences, things that are going on in the world, or just you had this vision and you're writing the words to that? Um, I feel like I write from kind of four different directions. Sometimes it's a romantic situation I'm in and in like drama, you know, journaling it. <laughs> Sometimes it's like to inspire others to be hopeful. I've written songs with sort of like faith-based, hope, hope-filled messages um, sometimes it's like world events, like I'm writing about um, the pandemic, for example, or mm-hmm. like, and then sometimes it's like party songs. It's just like, let's have fun and let's celebrate and like, let's have a good time. So is there usually like a certain time of the year that you focus on one certain area or like if you're doing EPs, kind of that style, like I'm going to focus on this so it's not blending or mixing together? Yeah, I mean. In my early days in Nashville, I would write sometimes every day of the week and I burned out doing that. And I hear people burn out doing that. Mm -hmm. And as I started, so my mom's half Swedish and the more I started going to Sweden, I started feeling like, wow, these are really masterful songs. And admittedly, I don't write as much in Nashville as I used to, though I sometimes can write a really great song here. It feels like a little less as the songs in Sweden are. So now I just try to go there as often as I can. So like I have a trip planned this summer because I finally had a break from performing. This year has had me DJ pretty much every weekend. And then in the summer, I finally got a break. So I was going to go and I am going to go for three weeks over there and try to write between Netherlands and Sweden, like a week and a half at each place. On that type of trip, what do you have like a goal for yourself on how many songs you hope to write to kind of prepare yourself for the rest of the year to kind of start producing it? Yeah, I mean, last year I went on three different trips to Sweden and wrote eight songs at one publishing company and like maybe 
two to three at a, a couple others mixed in with a few sessions in Nashville every month. And so I, I started to build up a catalog of music that I've begun releasing this year. So I put an EP out called American Boy of three of those songs. And I'm now starting to schedule more um, from the Sweden trip. And I mean, songs are expensive to both purchase, to acquire yeah. the rights to, and then to promote. So it's like all about timing and just maybe making a music video, for example. So it's also all about timing. So this year I'm going to Sweden with the goal of maybe writing two to four really good ones that I might release next year. Um, that's kind of the goal. What is American Boy about? Yeah, I was during the pandemic. I started dating a guy who was from Venezuela, who was under a, a visa that allows him to live here as, as an asylum visa because of the political unrest in Venezuela. So he cannot leave the U.S. And I also could not leave the U.S. due to the global situation of the pandemic. So we just took trips around the U.S. to places he and I had never been to before. So I went for the first time to Hawaii and Puerto Rico and went and saw the Grand Canyon and Vegas and California. And it, he went to New York and, and I went to the south border, like El Paso, Texas border. And so the song really talks about these specific experiences and celebrating being American. I and mean, he's South American and North American, but that's what an American boy is really about. It's just celebrating the song basically starts off saying, when I was younger, I dreamt to move to Paris and live in Europe. And then instead, I just went all over the USA. And now I feel this proudness of being an American boy because there's so many great things here to experience. So, When people are listening to it, do they see the connection with them, with what you're writing in the lyrics? Do, are they able to kind of find what you're, the message you're saying, but also connect at the same time? I, I hope to. The song is starting to like do well on TikTok. I looked today and there was like 777 people using American Boy wow. as a soundtrack to what they're going through. And sometimes I'll scroll through and see what are they using it for? Because it's interesting that they've chosen that song to use. My song, Unlike Myself, has like 1,500 TikToks. So it's but it makes a little more sense because the concept on that song is how you feel unlike yourself. And so I see a lot of like transformations, maybe someone who's doing a drag transformation or like a makeup transformation, or I have saw this one guy say he was like, you know, eating carbs, but he's not supposed to. So doing things that are kind of unlike your normal self. I see a lot of people use that song for that concept, but American boy has just been used more as just sort of like feel good music or people just enjoying what they're doing. I haven't really seen it true. Um, connection theme between everyone's video but it could be used just as like a a travel vlog of traveling within the u.s is that exciting to know that a lot of people are utilizing your songs and their story and then their kind of tiktoks and being able to one it's a way for your song to get promoted to another audience that maybe has never heard of you before because they see the song or hear it and they're like oh i want to hear this in full or I want to know a little bit more. And that's a way to kind of generate new listeners. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. I hadn't had that happen until this year where someone on TikTok was really heavily using my songs. And then with this American Boy EP, each of the three songs started to get used a lot. And it surprised me because I looked one day and it was like 300. And then the next day it was bordering on a thousand. And right now, unlike myself, is like, getting close to 2000. So I'm like, wow, people are really liking this song. And it really caught me by surprise. 
Um, and I was like kind of freaking out. I'm like, how did this happen? Like, where did they discover it? Why, why is this happening? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, it's great to see. You kind of talked about making music videos and with your Instagram or content creation, you showcase a little bit of those music videos. Is that something that you enjoy doing where you kind of can envision of sharing those videos or you really involved in the creative direction of those? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I love to act and though I'm not acting in any movies or TV series, I am acting in my music videos. So it's kind of that way of thinking where you are the Tyler Perry, so to speak, where mm -hmm. you are like writing the story and you're acting in it as well. That was, that has been my way of like showcasing my acting abilities and like my storytelling. So I just filmed a video a week ago called for a song called fun as fuck. And I realized there's a lot of very strong visuals in it. There's like a lyric that says grandma's in the corner. What's she telling? I'm sorry, what she's selling. Take a guess. And there's like another line where it's like, um, like too many blonde girls in the bar. Um, and, and then a priest spray painted a wall. And I was starting to think like, who am I going to get to act all these characters out? And I ultimately chose to do it myself. So I played all three of those characters, like a girl with a blonde wig, a grandma, a priest. And I like loved it, you know, because I mean, if you think like Eminem has done stuff like that, Mariah Carey, like Martin, it's like, it has, it's something I hadn't done before. Cause in a lot of my videos, I'm just trying to look like a good looking man and I'm just very <laughs> presenting, very masculine imaging. So I was like thrilled to, to, but I was equally really embarrassed because I was filming some of it as a Dave and Buster's and I was like walking into the men's room and then walking out like a grandma and being like oh my gosh I don't want anyone to like and I'm in the conservative south you know in Nashville Tennessee so like, I don't want anyone to report me or something <laughs> or someone just takes a photo and is like what's Davis doing in the yeah I part of that there? <laughs> although I was pretty unidentifiable as a grandma <laughs> Is there a video that you've done that has been like an all-time favorite for you that you are like, wow, look what I created? Yeah, I mean, I think R.I.P. is one of my more interesting videos because I wrote it about becoming sober. And I'd just been sober maybe two years when I wrote it. So it says R.I.P. to the old me. But then my grandfather passed away the year that I wrote it as well and so I like wore some of his clothes in the video and I just gone to his funeral so it kind of and I basically filmed a video in my home it was my old home but I also like when I get to go back and look at my old home in the video of a bunch of people trying to pre peer pressure me to drink alcohol but I'm just saying no and I'm saying like RIP to the old me and then it ends with like a funeral and I'm having all these people mourn my death and they're like but then they go and look and I like kind of wake up and I'm getting out of my grave. And it's like me saying like, that's the death of the old me, like the old version of myself, all the regrets, like the things I did on the real world, things I did to the people in my family that I hurt, like people that I really hurt because my alcoholism made me really reckless. That was me saying RIP to that old version of myself. And like, I've been sober now for seven years and I feel like I'm much more proud of who I am today than I was in that old version of myself. So that, and that like Perez Hilton wrote a tweet about that video and like it kind of started to get a bunch of views at the time. So that was cool because I used to really go to his website and discover artists that I liked like Lady Gaga, Lily Allen and kind of like pop stars. So I was like also like uh, encouraged to see that he had shared it.
Do you feel that with your sobriety that you've gone through and really sharing about it, that you can able to help others in the platform that you have and talk about your experience with going through that? Because some of it has been filmed and where you have people can see it at any time, but you use it as a learning stone to help yourself, but others that may be going through that also. Yeah, there was one time where Demi Lovato was sober and sobriety was like an important subject and billboard magazine had interviewed me to, about my sobriety because i was also freshly sober and i just released the song r.i.p and they, and they did like a story and i felt like in that moment i was really like a voice for sobriety and like i feel like because i'm i've been sober now for seven years it's not so much like a hot object for me it's not the forefront of my mind right now like i'm clearly an advocate for sobriety and people that know me know that i kind of will we'll encourage others to live a sober life, but I'm not necessarily like a sponsor for somebody right now. You know, like I was more like that way when I had just gotten sober. Now I'm just kind of like coasting on my sobriety. But even, even if you're not a sponsor, it's still, you can help people with even like not telling people, Oh, do this, but your experience is so valuable nowadays. I think anyone that's going through, like going through traumas, surviving, that just speaking and helping others hear it can trigger something that can say, okay, I can do this. It kind of puts the mindset, I can battle it. I can beat this. And I even think about it with being a diabetic and having those challenges where there's times I want to give up and there's times with alcohol people give up, but I know that I can reach out to people and you're someone that they can reach out to and just learn from and talk about it even if you're not like being that sponsor kind of person yeah i mean you you just hit on a a subject that's kind of a sore spot for me my stepbrother who passed away this weekend was also diabetic and i don't think i ever really knew what he was going through i mean i kind of heard about it through word of mouth from my mom that he was struggling with that diagnosis because i think someone probably told him a hospital that diabetic people might die early and so i think he kind of gave up on his life in a way and then got hooked on drugs and really just had a like a bad life that I have a lot of regrets right now now that he passed away not being more of a sober advocate for him or like a better big brother for him I, I feel like I was kind of kind of selfishly living in my own circle and the two of us had kind of just drifted apart like some people do and and then he passed away this week and I, I feel like I live with a lot of regrets and I feel like going forward, my takeaway from this experience is that if I do see someone hurting, like I want to be more there for them, mm-hmm. even if, I mean, I know that sometimes people have to get sober for themselves. There's no way to force anyone to get sober. They have to want it. Um, but I just want to be like more there if I see someone hurting, just because I, I, I wish I was more there for my stepbrother. I feel that way with, I want to help as many people as I can. And even if it's minutes or hours, I will be there for people. And I try even if I can't be at that exact moment, but I know you will be that person and help when you can and want to be there for people. So I see that just from talking to you for the short time, I can see that in your personality, that it's in you, that you have that helpful soul in you. Yeah. Is there anything in your career that in the future that you hope to do that you haven't gotten the opportunity to do yet? 
feel like if the right acting opportunity landed in front of me, I would take it and run with it. Um, when I first got to Nashville, like interestingly, I used to be in an acting school with Laverne Cox, the actress in New York City. And a lot of the people in my class started to become successful and famous. And then I moved to Nashville and I just chased music and kind of put acting aside. Mm-hmm. And the few acting things I've done have been in people's music videos or in like low budget little student movies. And it hasn't really been something I've really exercised, but I actually love to act. And so I think if the right acting opportunity landed, I would I would take it. What kind of TV show or movie would you want to act in? I feel like something that aligns with my faith is important. Like something that's like leading humans to make poor choices isn't something I would feel comfortable doing. So I feel like that's in some ways, I think that's probably why I haven't taken part in anything because a lot of the stuff I watch today, I feel like it's very conflictual with who I am and what I would want to represent, especially as a sober person. And I feel like a lot of the reason that society suffers with addictions is because the movies glamorize it and make it sexy and they don't really show a real well-rounded um, reality to it, you know? And I don't want to be in something that's just leading people because I feel like I would die and not feel proud of myself for doing something like that. So I feel like that's like the most important thing. And then, But I mean, it would be nice to be in something kind of comedic where I might play multiple characters, or, <laughs> you know, or something serious that leads, has a positive message in it something our listeners like to do is learn even more about the guests that we have when you're not working what is something that davis likes to do on his free time i feel like i know immediately the answer and it's i play a lot of phone games (laughs) (laughs) it's like my way of just killing time like i'm addicted to this game right now called lemmings it's like a sony game it's like super cheesy but i play it whenever i'm bored I also exercise, like I'm a little addicted to exercising, but that was the first answer that came to my mind. I love, that's the first time I've heard someone that like games on their phones and stuff. I mean, that's just, there's so many, like I could get addicted to it, but I remember Doodle Jump. That's like middle school days for me, but the game where you just jump, I'm like, these are so fun. But now I look at, I'm like, I'm barely playing a game on my phone. Yeah, it's a huge waste of time. And I think one day I'll probably try to quit it entirely. I'll be like, wow, I wasted so many hours of my life playing this game. But sometimes it's just like, it's kind of like meditation for me. It's just kind of nice to just do nothing. With exercise, when you were on like the challenging stuff, do you kind of look at that as, okay, was I in physical shape then? And, or I'm trying to go for a new goal from a physical health and fitness standpoint now. Yeah. I mean, when I did my first challenge, I look at those photos. I had like, I was super ripped. Like I was just, I mean, I was also 21. So, I mean, I was going to be in, in nice shape no matter what, but I was in really good shape. And then I just kind of lost, I think at some point in my like mid twenties, I just lost the energy to go to the gym anymore. I had spent so many hours in the gym and I really didn't want to go anymore. And I just got out of shape. And then I switched it up to cardio and I would just run when I needed to. And then last year with an old friend of mine, we went to Mykonos and I was admittedly like in really bad shape. I just didn't even think of it as that case. I just was like, I don't care. I wasn't working out and I was just running when I needed to. And we met this guy at a party and we went to dinner with him and I learned over dinner that he was a personal trainer and Kylie Jenner was one of his clients. And his Instagram said, DM me for online training. 
And so I wrote him a message after meeting. I'm like, hey, would you make an online plan for me? Because he lives in Mykonos and I don't. So he, <laughs> he wrote me up a workout routine that lasted six weeks. And then at the end of six weeks, we would change it up a little bit. And I'm going on close to an actual year now working with him. And I'm like, my body's transformed greatly from then to today. And I really like the, I like the way he does it. Like he just draws pictures and he gives you basically four days a week you have to work out and you get three days of rest and he gives you dietary guidelines. And then it's my job to just figure out when I can do those four workouts. And, and then six weeks it changes. And sometimes at the end of six weeks, I'm so ready for it to stop doing the ones that <laughs> I've been doing. I'm just like, hey, please give me those new workouts. So do you have like a fitness goal that you set for yourself? Like, uh, yeah, there were some Instagram guys whose followings were huge and they all they posted was their self shirtless. And like, I was like, I want to look like them, you know? <laughs> Isn't that a lot of people, they look at the photos and they're like, I just want to be like that person. Then they realize uh, it takes like a long time to get to that. Yeah. Like, and lately I feel like I've been eating garbage because I went to Chicago and I ate a bunch of pizza. Oh, and then I came back to Nashville and like, I was just kind of like off my diet. So I've been trying really in the last week to get like really strict again on my diet. You talked about traveling earlier. Is there a part or a place that you're hoping to travel to next that you haven't gotten to? I feel like Italy is on the forefront of my mind. The other day with my stepdad, after the funeral ended, we just sat down and watched um, Stanley Tucci's CNN travel to Italy show about eating throughout Italy. And I felt like I really wanted to explore Italy for like a long time and like see all the different regions. So that's like high up high list for me. If I go to Italy, I am not going to be on a diet for a whole week. <laughs> no way. Um, you just cannot tell me to eat healthy when you're getting real authentic no. Italian food there. Exactly. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a must place? I always say Bora Bora or the Maldives. I'm a water guy. Like yeah. anytime I go on vacation with family or friends, um, I always say we have to go somewhere water because I need to be on a jet ski, a boat, swimming in the ocean. But then Bora Bora, I mean, then again, you see the photos on like Instagram and stuff and you're like, oh, I want to be there. And you know, you get there and it's not always like what you see, but that's like a dream destination. I just got to find a good group on for it. So. <laughs> Because it's expensive just to eat. Oh, yeah, look. Yeah, one of my close friends just went to Bora Bora a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago. I meant, and it looked incredible, but it also looked incredibly expensive. Yeah. And you can go to like, what is it, an hour and a half from Miami to like one of those like sandals resorts where you get the tiki on the hut or the hut on the water, kind of like uh, the movie Couples Retreat in a way. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll go there. That's a little yeah. bit. But where are you based, by the way? I'm in Missouri. So I'm like, okay, nice. no water near me. <laughs> no, like, you got the lake, the river, but it doesn't, you don't get that satisfaction. I mean, I'm going to LA soon. So I'm like, I was always in Florida. Now I'm going to the West Coast because that was always a dream to go there. But I think traveling, I need to do more of. I think the pandemic taught me go do all the things you want to do. Like, just like, the money is not going to go with you when you die. Yeah. You got to go do it and make those memories and enjoy. Yeah. It's true. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? 
feel like the answer that comes to my mind is like Brene Brown's mentality about leaning into vulnerability and like if I mean, I feel like there were so many times as a child where I like really felt like I needed to do something difficult, but I didn't want to do it. And I kind of like, oh, the other day I had to speak at my stepbrother's funeral and I was just like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I know that I need to do this. And then they were like, we're going to have four speakers today. And then I was speaker three and I was just like, I got to go up there and do this. You know, sometimes life is like that. It's like, there's things you don't really want to do, but you know, you have to do it. It's kind of like you just have to take the plunge and just rip the bandaid off or just like jump out of the plane, you know, but sometimes you just gotta be that person for yourself. It's really like pushing yourself. I don't know if I answered the question or maybe I just described the problem, but (laughs) there's no wrong answer because everyone goes through their challenges or the rise of the challenge in their own way. I mean, I can't, say, I know the exact blueprint to how you rise to the challenge because I didn't live your life. I didn't go through the challenges that you faced. But I feel that someone that's listening to this interview will take take something you just said, like taking the plunge, go for it. You have to go do it. And they'll motivate them to go out there and do it because they have that bucket list or that things they want to accomplish. And they're like, I can't do this. They're making those excuses. But hearing you say it, they're like, I can do this now. Yeah, because it always feels so much better after you finally do the thing that like yes. something inside of you is telling you to do. Is there an item that I know you mentioned the speaking, but something that you took the plunge to do and you are happy that you did it? I mean, a lot of times it's like within relationships you're in, you have that difficult conversation with your mom or your significant other or your dad or whoever, your sibling that you don't want to have, but you feel compelled that you need to have it. And you finally get through it and you're like, wow, it feels so much better now that we had that conversation. I feel like yeah. that's really the the big one that happens a lot more often in life. Well, Davis, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking yeah. about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, Alex, for having me on. And I appreciate you know all your listeners and all the good questions. Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.